0: everybody. This is Tina again with Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. And guess what? We have Allison, the nurse manager, back again. I didn't scare her off. Hey, Allison. Hey, Tina. Hey, listener. Yes, good to have you. Our listeners, I got some really good feedback. They really liked you, Allison. They love your accent. So apparently oh. <laughs> mine is not not good enough. I guess it's, I don't know. I know I have one because I have listen to myself and I hear it, but yours is like very East Tennessee, authentic, nice accent. They would just love it. It's
1: Southern. I, and I don't hear it in myself, <laughs> but I get told all the time.
0: Well, I know. I kind of don't either. And then I listen to myself when I'm editing and everything. I'm like, good grief. I, I do have an accent. <laughs> (laughs) There's different variations, too. Mm -hmm. Different areas of the South have different types of accents. It's so weird. Yes. And sometimes my accent gets thicker. Yeah. And sometimes I can hide it. Sometimes mine gets worse when I get mad about something. (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> does oh, <it> yes. Not? <laughs> yeah. Yes, it does. It really comes back. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've got some really good stories today. We're going to talk about a couple of psychiatrists. We haven't done psychiatrists yet, so I thought this would be an interesting one. It is a fascinating story. It really is. And then, of course, we've got a little news story to talk about. First, I just wanted to thank our new sponsor, Trusted Health Nurse Travel Agency. They sponsor our Podcast exclusively, and we'll we 'll we'll run our little commercial at some point in the middle of the the podcast, but for now, just wanted to give them a quick shout out and I guess we 'll get started on our news story so this is i don 't know about you, Allison, but patients being in isolation at the hospital can be one of the most frustrating parts of your job, especially if it 's a particularly warm day on the floor. And and you're just like, every patient seems like they're in isolation. So I found this article I thought was kind of neat. And it says, study says hospital-acquired infections can make patients feel like lepers. And it says that people in isolation for MRSA, all kinds of healthcare-associated infections. Of course, you have to protect the other patients from those patients. You don't want to walk into a room, touch everything, kind of get those germs on on you, on your scrubs and everything else, and then go into another patient's room. You definitely don't want to be doing that. But it's just to think about it from the patient's perspective. I always, we, we think about it from our perspective, having to put on the gown just absolutely dying. I'm trying to do a sterile procedure with that on is so hard to just keep it from touching like your sterile field. I really don't like the isolation gowns. I understand that they're necessary, but what do you think?
1: Yeah, I can't stand them either. And nothing's worse than when, when it's the middle of summer and it is 100 degrees in the hospital and, you know, we work on the same floor and so we're like mid-level in the mm-hmm. hospital, so it's hot and mm-hmm. then you have to put on an isolation gown and you're in the middle of a central line dressing or anything and you're in there and it feels like forever. And I've come out before and just peel my gown off and just dripping in sweat. Yeah. And there is nothing absolutely worse than that. No. We do see the annoying part of it, especially passing trays and having to gown up. It is annoying.
0: Especially if you know it's just one second and you're just going to walk right in there. Yes.
1: Like, I'm just going to drop off this yeah. cup of ice.
0: Swipe their forehead with a the, with the thermometer. I always feel like the one time I don't do that, it's going to be the one time that that infection prevention lady comes by with her clipboard. <laughs> and I feel yes. so like, I've had it happen. I'm not going to just sit here and pretend like every single time I go in an isolation room, I have literally never gone in without an isolation gown. Although I try to be very, very, very good at doing it there's been times there's been times that I walked in there didn't even realize it was an isolation room mm-hmm. I wasn't even thinking get get in there start doing something yeah. and I'm like or some then you know I really feel bad when I, another employee comes in with one on and I look at him like uh, you know who, whoops whoops <laughs> you kind of get convicted but you look mm-hmm. up and that lady's standing there with that clipboard. And I'm like, I feel like five years old yes. in kindergarten getting my hands slapped. I hate that feeling.
1: Yes. And they will come and tell your manager as oh, yeah. as a manager, they come and tell me.
0: Mm-hmm. It is important.
1: You know, when people come in, they have a history of MRSA, and we automatically put them in isolation, you know, right from the get-go. And so I think those are the ones that are probably the most annoying for me yeah you know or if they had this one infection and it could have been 10 years ago but they had a history of it so you have to go ahead and wear everything but then you'll have a patient that you've had for four days and you've not gowned up at all and then their c-diff comes back <laughs> positive or the TB comes back positive and it's like well uh, that wouldn't have been the one that I wouldn't have minded yeah, wearing everything. In.
0: Exactly. That's like, you're just like, what have I been doing? You know, I, I mean, and if you use really good hand hygiene, that's great. But if it's C. diff, you probably haven't been washing your hands with soap and water every time you
1: leave a room. No, you've been using that alcohol.
0: And you're just like, oh,
1: been the hand sanitizer. that's so
0: awful. So yeah, well, they, The the article says that hospital-acquired infections are actually declining. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, it says that they went down 13% between 2014 and 2017. I feel like that's huge.
1: Yeah, if you think about the overall percentage, that's that's a very big decrease.
0: Yeah, and, and for it to even be decreasing at all because... I, I don't know why, but for some reason I would, I guess because of antibiotic overuse and I just expect You would think that, it would be increased. That's what I would expect. It makes me feel a little bit better. I don't know if it's because hospitals have gotten better at educating their staff about infection prevention and enforcing regulations and just putting measures into place. I don't know because it that's actually encouraging to me. Mm-hmm. It was, seems to be doing a better job. That's good. We need a little yeah. good news, don't we? we're doing something right? We do. Well, that was our news story. Our bad story is, it's really kind of weird. I mean, there's some really weird stuff in this, like some very odd twists and turns in this story. So first, when you start listening, you might just think, oh, well, I got this figured out. I know exactly, you know, what happened because it's kind of straightforward. Everything kind of happens up front in the beginning and then Uh, There's some weird things that kind of come out a little later in the story. But this is the story of Pamela Buckbinder. Pamela is a psychiatrist in New York. And she was in a relationship with Michael Weiss, who is also a psychiatrist. They were never married, but they had a child in 2008 together. So... They were living in an apartment. Dr. Weiss had his medical practice out of his office apartment in the Upper West Side of Manhattan. So after the child was born, they kind of lived together until about 2009. And then Pamela Buckbinder and the child moved to a different apartment. So they kind of separated. And even though they weren't married, there's still, when you have a child involved, there's still a lot of, and if you've lived together for a while, it's probably, I guess, I've never gone through a divorce before, but I would, it sounds like it would be very similar. Because wouldn't you be trying to split the stuff up and, and obviously visitation and all
1: that? Yeah, you still have a lot of details to work through. Yeah. So, yeah. especially if you live together for several years.
0: Yeah. And it could get okay. ugly. It can get ugly fast. Yeah. So, yeah. She, Pamela Buckbinder, uh, retained custody of the child. And then Dr. Weiss, he got overnight visitation every week. And then some time, you know, with them, just just a, a typical kind of uh, where the, the the mother has them most of the time, and then the father kind of uh, has some visitation and other, other types of things things that they work out. But the interesting thing is, part of the agreement of the child support, I guess, was that he had to keep a $1.5 $1, $1. point five million dollar life insurance policy that named their child. As irrevocable beneficiary and Pamela Buckbinder as irrevocable trustee
1: wow so, one point five million yeah i it, is that not i mean i I'm trying to think of what my life insurance <laughs> is and i don't i don't believe it's that
0: it seems really odd to me i now they live in the upper west side of Manhattan, so it's obviously very expensive they're both True. psychiatrists, but still to it to have it be part of the agreement that he has to have a life yeah. insurance policy i thought that was really
1: i wonder if she had one as well yeah i like I, did he make her have one yeah. or
0: i good question i wonder it didn't say anything about that and mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's just kind of bizarre. So Dr. Yeah. Weiss actually um, would end up testifying that on November twelfth in, uh, in two thousand twelve, after one of his overnight visitations with the, with his uh, child, he dropped the child off. And I don't know if 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 the child is a male or female. That's why I keep saying that because I feel like it's irrelevant. It's they probably didn't want to you know, indicate that, but. He dropped the child off at daycare, went back to his home office, had a a therapy session there with a patient. And then shortly after it began, a young man by the name of Jacob Nolan, who is Pamela Buckbinder's 20-year-old cousin, barged into the office unannounced, and he had a large duffel bag with him. And Dr. Weiss escorted him out, you know, asked him to leave. After the appointment ended with the patient, he talked to Nolan. So apparently he didn't leave. He just kind of like hung around the stairwell, you know, just kind of waiting around. Nolan told him that he had to come pick up some paperwork that had to do with some financial aid, uh, aid documents for preschool for their child, for for Pamela. You know, he was picking that up for her. And once, so he went into, back into the apartment with, with uh, Dr. Weiss and Nolan asked if he could use the bathroom. So he went on into the bathroom and Weiss asked Nolan to leave the duffel bag in the hallway because He was worried that he might have some equipment in the bag to use to kind of bug the apartment. So he he was that was his thinking, like, oh what why else would you be carrying around this big duffel bag? Kind of thing. (laughs) And so while he was going to Dr. Weiss was going to get the documents that supposedly Nolan was there to get, Nolan, the young man, came out with a ten-pound sledgehammer and struck him in the shoulder, Dr. Weiss started screaming. Nolan dropped the sledgehammer and then pulled out a knife, stabbed him seven or eight times in the arms, legs, back, chest, and abdomen. And Dr. Weiss actually managed to wrestle the knife away and stabbed Nolan. He stabbed him just above the collarbone, but as he did that, he recognized the knife. And it was one that he actually bought for Pamela Buckbinder when they were living together. So Nolan ran out into the building, into the hallway, and Dr. Weiss called for help. Of course, he's injured, bleeding, but he managed to crawl out into the hallway where he could find some staff, you know, like building staff. And by this time, they had gotten police there, which is pretty fast. They find him. They also see Nolan there uh, stabbed. I guess he was hurt too badly to actually leave, but he was still trying to use his phone, trying to get in touch with someone. You know, not sure who, but he was using his phone frantically trying to, to reach someone. So Dr. Weiss su- suffered permanent scars on his upper arms, his legs, back, and abdomen, which he ended up showing to a jury at Nolan's criminal trial. So this is a, I kind of like this story because the victim didn't die for once. <laughs> so yeah, this might be the
1: first one ever.
0: I really, I was thinking about that and I'm like, I kind of like this. It's like, it's usually just so depressing. And it's it's horrible what happened to him, no doubt about it. I'm sure it was very traumatic and no telling the PTSD or whatever, you know, he's had to suffer and scars and all of that. But just at least he didn't die, which I, you know, like pretty sure that was the intent. Yeah. So the really odd thing, though, is that, you know, they arrested Nolan. I mean, it was obvious who did it. There was no question. He's standing right there. He stabbed by Dr. Weiss. So no one's questioning who killed him. So they arrest him. They get the knife, sledgehammer, duffel bag. In the duffel bag, there were cigarettes, plastic zip ties, a white plastic bag with the Home Depot logo on it. And that will be important later on, because we all know that criminals have to go to Home Depot before, (laughs) before they do it. Because Heaven forbid you not get put on video before you go commit a crime. Yeah. I mean,
1: That's why I shop at Lowe's. <laughs> and there's no video. The criminals go to Home Depot. <laughs> All
0: the criminals go to Home Depot. I mean, I'm not to I hate to say this nothing negative about Home Depot, but No,
1: no. Does it
0: not seem like it's always Home Depot? Yes. I've it said is. this before. I'm telling you, there's something about Home Depot. Hey, Q, we're in a commercial, so we got to talk fast. Let's do it. Okay. So I think I know the answer to this question, but have you ever signed up for a travel nurse agency and immediately regretted it when you started getting all those texts and emails? Sadly, Tina, yes, I have. Okay, well, Trusted Health is a nurse travel agency that's going to change all of that. They make it simple and fast to go online and sign up, and then you immediately start seeing job opportunities that are tailored to your interests. And you can even see the pay.
1: Sounds too good to be true, Tina.
0: Well, the best part is there are no recruiters, no unwanted emails, and no unwanted text messages. No recruiters? Tina, I'm going to need some help. Where are we going to go if we have all these questions? Right, right. Well... They do have nurse advocates who are there to answer any questions. They'll help guide you through the process, but they're not commission-based, so they're not going to try to pressure you into taking a job that you don't want. Cool beans, cool beans. Well, tell them when to sign up because we're running out of time here. Okay, right, right. So, you guys, if you're even a little curious about travel nursing and you want to help support our little podcast here at Good Nurse, Bad Nurse, please go to www.trustedhealth.com forward slash goodnurse. And follow the steps to completing the sign-up process. It's real important that you complete the whole process for us to get credit, and we would really appreciate the support. Remember to be sure and put forward slash good nurse at the end of the URL when you go to their website so they'll know we sent you there. Trusted Health, they're not just an agency, they're a movement. But there were two pillows in this bag, and then there was a map of Weiss's building with his two different uh, entrances noted and kind of pointed out. Lines mm-hmm. drawn to show how to get from one side of the lobby to the other. And then, of course, the location of Dr. Weiss's apartment. So, something's up here because clearly, why would he need a map? You know, some, why did he do it in any way? There doesn't really seem to be a motive for him to do this. So, what could be the reason? According to his parents... They, he was troubled growing up, but they also said he was very sweet, very just the sweetest kid in the world. About the age of five, he was diagnosed with ADHD, and then as a young teen, they diagnosed him, the diagnosis expanded into uh, depression and anxiety. And then he apparently attempted to take his own life at seventeen and was di- diagnosed with bipolar disorder. So he had a lot of mental health um, issues growing up. His whole childhood. So of course we know Pamela Buckbinder is a psychiatrist by trade. That's what she does by education and he is her cousin. So Jake actually had moved in with Dr. Buckbinder and was staying there so and in return she was letting him stay there and she was helping him with his basically trying to treat him for his, uh, mental health issues. And then in exchange, he would help care for her son, Calder. Oh, they, they named the the name. So what do you think about that? Is that a little odd having your...
1: Yeah. Yeah. That was the very first thing that I thought was, and I think I saw that she was treating him and, and helping him before I caught on that he was living with her. And I was like, what? why would you treat somebody that's a family member of yours? Because I would think that violates every ethical oath that they take. So favor or not, you know, I I understand that your cousin. You want to help your family, but especially with mental illness and the things that go along with that, I would think that you would try to help by yeah maybe giving him a place to stay but referring him to another well trained psychiatrist that you know right you know not treating him yourself i i think that whole that was weird in itself it's um, that kind of just yeah. made me feel creepy like why you know why would you do that and as as a mom i think if my child were having issues like that and you know my sister or brother or whatever was a psychiatrist i still just don't know i think that just crosses a lot of lines and i'm i'm not a very black and white person all the time i i live in the gray area a lot but i feel like that that just didn't sit right i just don't think you should treat somebody you know close friends relatives All of that.
0: Seems very dangerous, doesn't it? Because it's to me, it would be very hard to stay neutral. Like you really obviously need to be. You know too much. And how do you
1: separate? Yeah. You know too much. And what if that person has some feelings that they need to express about a family member and they might not be comfortable telling you those things. And if they do tell you those things, how do you handle that? Mm -hmm. Because you're kind of, you've got your doctor-patient confidentiality, then as, if it was something, you know, like if he had made a statement that he was going to harm his mom or his dad or somebody, how would you not give that information? You know, that's your family member as well. So that that in itself makes Pamela not a good practitioner in my opinion.
0: Oh, I, I agree. I agree a hundred percent. His mom, I can I can kind of uh, understand why his mom would have been kind of maybe feel maybe she felt desperate to have get some help for her son. And she said that while he was staying there, it seemed like the arrangement was really working. And so she thought he seemed like he was very happy and stable if you have a son who's struggling with bipolar disorder and depression and anxiety and all of these things, and all of a sudden he's in this arrangement that seems to make, be making him happy and stable, it would, I guess it would be hard to question that
1: or. It would be. And, for, and for she, somebody that, Yeah. Yeah.
0: And she, he is 20. It's not like mm-hmm. he um, was a child. He is old enough to make his own decisions. It would be his choice to do that. Mm-hmm. So um, it's just a very, very uh, touchy situation. And then, so not only living part-time there um, in this kind of odd situation, but I mean, having your, the fact that he's a cousin is a problem. Having your, a client, uh, a patient live with the psychiatrist is just weird. If, even if they weren't related, it's just bizarre. But on top of that, it almost, it, there's some, odd evidence it seemed that there might have been an inappropriate relationship as well, that she may have had sort of an inappropriate relationship. Like she would text him messages, you know, that said, you're just the most fun person to love. You're so beautiful. Things like that. Just, just, uh, just doesn't quite sit well. Yeah. For <laughs> that, a psychiatrist. Is, no. Uh, psychiatrist, a <laughs> no. patient, aunt. Or a cousin to cousin. I mean, just yeah, no,
1: no, that's I know that I have a southern accent, but that (laughs) that doesn't make it okay. (laughs) Um, You know, that's that there's so many levels to all the things that are wrong in this situation. And so, yeah, you know, everything is just weird. She is a weird person.
0: No kidding. It even says that they would lie in bed together sometimes. And Jake said that just kind of showed how comfortable he was with her.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That is very awkward. I don't, I just, oh, I can't process all that.
0: It's just, it's so, I don't even know how Dr. Buckbinder Felt like that was something that was going. I don't know. I just the whole thing is so weird and so bizarre. It's but but again, uh, week in week out, we always say that we can. It's impossible to understand what goes on inside people's minds. Seemingly very intelligent people just do the yes, craziest, make
1: really, <laughs>
0: <laughs> absolutely.
1: True. You prove that every week that some of the smartest people make some of the dumbest decisions.
0: Yeah, no kidding. And not only was this weird thing going on uh, where they would all be in bed together, like she and Jake and the child and like in the mornings and things like that, Um, and then the text messages, but also she was starting to fill his mind with these ideas about the child's father saying, uh, Dr. Weiss saying things, you know, like that the child was being molested by. Doctor Weiss, even though there was absolutely no evidence of that whatsoever, she would just every day tell, say something about uh, the child being abused. So that would be disturbing. If to, and and you, he already suffers from mental illness. And I feel like her being a psychiatrist, she knew exactly what to do to manipulate him and to get him to, you know, hyper focus and on on that. And it's just, I'm sure he developed a close relationship with this child and it probably just drove him crazy thinking about somebody hurting the the child, you know?
1: Yeah. She definitely knew that he was vulnerable. And I think she probably knew what his weaknesses were. And that's probably why he latched onto her so well. You know, I'm sure that his I'm sure we don't know much about what his home life was like with his parents, but if he was having all of the um, the mental ill issues that he was having, I'm sure that that was a strained relationship. I'm sure that he oh, yeah. probably didn't have a whole lot of interactions with his peers based on the bipolar and stuff like that. And so from my take on it, she probably... Mm-hmm he was probably really enjoying the attention. Oh, here's somebody that's going to show me attention. You know, they're really helping me out. They're making me feel good. You know, she's probably telling him you're doing so much better. And, but she also knew how to put those thoughts in his mind. You know, she knew how to play him. Yeah. She knew exactly what to do. And, you know, I don't know if he had had any other intimate relationships up to this point. And so, he probably was very vulnerable to the intimacy, the intimacy part of their relationship, you know. And so, getting those text messages, he may not have thought, "Okay, well, she's my cousin." Um, So this this is inappropriate. He was probably just like, "Oh, okay, I've never had this feeling before, and now somebody is telling me, um, you know, handsome or I'm funny mm-hmm. or you know, giving me all these." qualities and attributes that I've never heard from anybody else.
0: Yeah. It had to be really difficult for him at th- that situation. He obviously was so vulnerable and I, and I just, I kind of, even though, I mean, he was obviously the one that, that was carrying out this act, but I still, I have a lot of empathy for him because he just, I feel like he, I know he was in control of, of his own actions, but at the same time, I really do feel like she almost kind of brainwashed him with her with the way that she I mean he's living there she's got this hold over him she's his psychiatrist. It she's mm-hmm. telling him all these lies. It's just I feel like she really controlled him almost.
1: Yeah, she had all the power in that relationship. For sure. And you know, when you're in that situation, when you're kind of relying on somebody else when you're living in their house and they're providing yeah. a roof over yeah. your head, they're providing food, you feel like you owe them um, something, you know, yes, he was taking care of the child to help her out, but he probably felt a lot of gratitude and just felt this need to do something for her. You know, I want to help her out. I want to make things easier for her. And when, you know, you said she would make little comments every single day and and put these things into his head. Um, And then and the one of the interviews I watched, he said that she played a Beatles song every single day, and it was Silver Hammer, I believe it was. Ooh, yeah. But if you watch the interview, um, it actually plays a clip of this Beatles song, and and <laughs> um, one of the lyrics is something about hit him and hit her in the head and make sure she's dead. I, and I had no idea this was a Beatles song, um, so I was very thrown off by that. But you know. I think that is is a legitimate thing. I think that music alone can change your mood. I know it changes my mood. If I'm depending on what kind of mood I'm in that day, I'll listen to different genres on the way into work. So I think that that can have an effect on your your psyche, your mental health. And so if she played that song every single day. Oh my
0: goodness. It's so calculating, you know? And I feel yeah. I feel like also you kind of hit on something earlier when you said that he probably didn't have a lot of friends and he probably had a, restrained, a strained relationship with his family it i'm sure he was very isolated as well and she probably had full his full attention and he was feeling like he was getting better he felt better than he probably had in years well, mm-hmm. For whatever reason, just having that attention to whatever it was about her that was making him at least appear to feel better. But his his own mom said that he was seem, he seemed to be feeling better. So I'm sure he didn't want to mess that up either. You know, right? Kind of do anything that that she would say in order to be able to continue to feel normal.
1: Um, mm-hmm. So the song is Maxwell's Silver Hammer. Really. By the Beatles.
0: I'll have to look that up. I don't even, I'm not even familiar with that song.
1: I'm not either. And I, I thought I knew all of the Beatles songs, but that was one that I missed. And he also said, you know, in an interview, he said, I would have done anything for Pamela. He even said, see, this." I thought this was a very memorable quote. He said, it happens so slowly that you don't really recognize this growing feeling inside of you that one day you wake up and say, I'll kill for this one. Oh, wow. So I think that he was very willing to do whatever he could for her. I think that, you know, he was manipulated and put into this situation where he felt like he, in his mind, this child is being abused or Mm -hmm. being hurt. And somebody, you know, that is used to probably feeling out of control of their emotions with all his mental illness, needed to feel in control of something. And so if he could control the situation for Pamela, if he could help her, you know, he could take away this one thing that would make her life better and make the child's life better, then he he could be the hero. Right. He could fix all their problems. And then, you know, then it could just be the three of them. They could be happily ever after. Um, you know, he probably wasn't thinking of the consequences no. of what happens if I get caught? What would that mean for this, you know, me living here and my relationship with her? I think that, and I see that a lot with people that have um, mental illness yeah. in the yeah. hospital is they don't, they don't have that long-term thinking. They're, they're thinking about whatever is in front of them. Oh yeah. You know, yeah. they're fixated on getting something to eat or getting something to drink or fixated on getting up out of the bed, even though they have two broken legs and they can't. You know, they're not seeing anything past what is directly in front of them at that moment. All
0: right. That's exactly right. Well, just they did find out that just one day before he attacked Dr. Weiss, Dr. Buckbinder was uh, can be seen on camera at, of course, the Home Depot. She's paying cash for a sledgehammer, and Jake's standing right beside her. And he did
1: pay cash. She did.
0: Yeah. She did pay cash. At least she didn't use her credit Who knows card. Kudos
1: to that. Yes.
0: <laughs> and then he said that she packed his weapons in the bag for him and then gave him the map to the building and sent him on his way. So wow. uh, the, the court did, uh, found that Dr. Weiss had proven that she had uh, conspired to kill him. So he actually sued her civilly, and so they found that she had conspired to kill him, and she therefore committed various family offenses against Weiss, and that that, because it was such aggravating circumstances, that warranted a five-year order of protection against her in favor of him and his son, and they denied Dr. Buckbinder any visitation with the child based on all that evidence. And in light of her decision to invoke the Fifth Amendment and not testify at this civil trial, basically the court, I guess, can, they can take that, the fact that you are invoking the Fifth Amendment, they can almost infer negativity from that. And I didn't even realize that. I wonder if it's different in a civil case versus a criminal, because this was a civil case, but it says the court took the strongest negative inference. So I'm, I'm assuming that that means the court could use the fact that she took the fifth mm-hmm. in making their decision about her guilt. Okay. They can choose to take the strongest negative inference from that. In other words, well, if okay. you won't speak up and tell your side of the story, we're gonna we're gonna assume that that's a negative. There's a, some negative reason why. Okay. So nearly five hmm. years after the attack, so he was convicted, of course. But nearly 5 years after the attack they finally arrest her and charge her with attempted murder i mean 5 years is a long time i why in the world it would take that long when they had the map they had the her the video of her buying that i don't what in the world took so long
1: i don't know i don't i cannot figure that out and then they said this was one of bless his heart you know that this kids a millennial because it said that <laughs> <laughs> he took He did. I can't wait for Q to hear this. He took (laughs) selfies after So he's sitting there and there's, there was a picture of it. He's covered in blood and he's taking selfies of himself. Mm. And I think he's kind of, the article said, you know, he was, I don't know if he texted them to her, but his look was kind of like, you know, what do I do next? You know, here's where we are. What do I do next? And bless his heart. So Especially if he took those pictures and sent them to her, texted that to her, I would think that would be huge, huge evidence. So I don't understand the court system. I don't understand why things take so long. So five years, I mean, was she at her house? Was she practicing? What was she, she was doing practicing,
0: I believe, because I know that it, there was uh, so one of the articles that I read said that part of her defense attorney, you know, the defense attorneys have to jump all kinds of through all kinds of hoops to represent these people sometimes. You've got to hand it to them because if they, some of these people have nothing to work with, they've got to pull yeah. something out of the sky to give them some sort of a defense. And he said, well, they she didn't they didn't revoke her medical license. So she must have been. I don't know if she was actually practicing, but she was at least still still had her medical license at the time.
1: Could you imagine being the patient that went to her?
0: No, <laughs> you know why would I would she, be I, so I, worried. Course. Like I must be so screwed up right now, and I probably don't even know it. <laughs> like, what have she done to me? If she did this to him, like, yeah. Or you to and look and at maybe- it like, man, she's really good.
1: She knows her stuff she she knows her stuff, maybe she can help me out, yeah, but she, you I would imagine this was in the the news mm-hmm. that this was all over, yeah, and so I would think that people would have saw her name and recognized that, um yeah,
0: and hopefully would not, of course, she denies that she did did anything, and who knows people want people will believe what they want to believe sometimes if somebody had been going to her for years. And they didn't want to believe that she did something like this because they just couldn't believe it. They just really felt like she was helping them. I could see somebody justifying in their mind, like, well, she's been wrongfully accused or, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. Just don't want to look at the evidence.
1: And, you know, there's probably some people crazy enough out there in this Mm -hmm. world that would go to her because of this story. Yeah. (laughs) I'm sure there are people that are like, oh, I need to go see her. I need, you know, yep, thinking they could find out the dirt or get some inside details or just want to say, you know, they met her. Yep. You never know.
0: Oh, no, I, I'm with you. I agree. People, you just don't know what to expect from people. Mm-mm. But they did finally arrest her in New York, Fable, New York. Um, she was, it was on uh, October 19th, 2017. They charged her with attempted murder in the second degree and burglary in the first degree, two counts, and attempted assault in the second degree, based on basically the, that, that whole incident.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: They charged her. wonder
1: what the burglary, what was the burglary charge?
0: I really don't know because he didn't break in, right? Well, he did, it did yeah. say he barged in, but it was a, it was kind of an office. I don't really know. Yeah. Somehow it just, somehow they they justified that. And I wonder if it's not because at the beginning, she wrote them when, when the map was drawn. um, It's indicated on the map how to get them to open the door.
1: Oh, I bet you're right. And
0: it was to ask, say you were there for this daycare or something. Or, mm-hmm. and, and so through the entrances, yeah. the entrances and exits. Mm-hmm. I bet you're right. The only thing I can figure is, is I don't know that he took something. But of course, she pleaded not guilty, and the they they argued that she should not get bail they were they said she was a flight risk she had several different addresses and she would give the wrong address to the police at different times so you know they basically said you know, she's a flight risk she you sh- you should keep her in in jail not let her get out and they did decide not to give her bail, and she is actually that was last year, I believe, and she's still in jail now. She has actually not stood trial yet, so technically, she hasn't been convicted. Mm-hmm. but you can't deny that there's all this evidence,
1: yeah, I would think this would be a slam dunk for that prosecutor.
0: It seems like these things take so long and if if somebody really is innocent is is that not? What about somebody staying in prison for two years when and then they're acquitted? Yeah,
1: <laughs> it's yes, yeah, that is terrible, but I, I agree totally she is a flat risk. and if they she'd have been long gone by now, she'd have probably been halfway across the world practicing you know mm-hmm. psychiatry mm-hmm. under a different name. oh,
0: yeah, she tried to downplay the seriousness of this crime by saying, that he only stayed in the hospital one night and that that showed the fact that it, his wounds were were not bad enough for him to stay longer than one night, that that showed that it, there wasn't an intent to kill, which to me, it was just absolute luck that mm-hmm. he was not killed. Yeah. I mean, if you stab somebody seven, what, six or seven times, isn't that what it said? Step, yeah. Uh, and hit them over the head with a sledgehammer. I don't know how you didn't intend for them to
1: die. Yeah. Yeah. And and actually in that interview that I was talking about, the reporter asked him and he said, I I intended to kill him. So he went there with the purpose of killing him. Mm-hmm. He just wasn't successful.
0: Yeah. And again, this is just, they have to come up with some sort of a defense. It's just the evidence is is just really stacked up against her for sure. Mm-hmm. So I mean, there she sits in in jail, just awaiting her trial. There's really not a whole lot else to be said. It's a sad that that young man is in prison because of all of this. I feel like that. Mm-hmm. I feel like that was a just really a huge injustice. I don't know what the right. I'm not saying I know the right thing how that should have been handled, but it doesn't seem right that he should be, I I really, I guess I don't know what the, it just seems like he was so manipulated and it's so unfair that you take someone Mm -hmm. who clearly is suffering from mental illness and is obviously under the power of this person who had all this psychological control over him. And then he ends up doing this. He had no motive for doing this on his own.
1: Right, he had no no reason. And it would be wonderful if, his time could be served in a more in a mental yeah. facility, more so than a jail. Yeah. But we don't have enough mental health care facilities to handle all these people. And you have to think how many people are in jail right now because they had underlying mental illness and they've committed crimes because they weren't they weren't medically treated properly. I mean, I see it every day. I'm sure you see it every sure. day too. But you know, we have people that come in, they have major underlying psych issues. And so if you can treat those and you can get them um continuous treatment, not the acute come into the hospital, we we put you on some meds, you're there for three or four days, and then you're back out and you don't follow up and then and then it's just a vicious cycle. And there I think there's probably a lot of people in jails right now all across the world that Mm. are there because of truly mental illness and not because they just wanted to commit crimes.
0: Right. It's, it's, it's a vicious cycle. And a lot of these people actually kind of go from the street to the hospital, to jail, to the street, back to jail, to the hospital, to the street. It's just, that's where they, that's where they live. Hospital, jail, or, or the street. You know, there's just, there really aren't any other options for them. They don't have any. There's no, there are no facilities anymore or very few for people like this, especially not long term. You know, it's even if you can get some help for someone, uh, and on a, you know, short, even, even a few months, there's just not, a, there are no options. Right. Uh, I don't know what our country is, is doing or what they're thinking with the mental health issues that are obviously rampant just, everybody's just ignoring it. Nobody wants to spend the money on it. No one wants to make it a priority. That's really unfortunate. But our good psychiatrist story actually is sort of touches on that a little bit. I love this. And of course, we always say that for every bad healthcare professional out there, there are just thousands of ones that are just doing amazing things all the time that love their job, love being healthcare, love people, want to help people. That's the vast majority of of healthcare workers, of course. And um, so we always want to end our show with talking about one of them. And we, we picked a psychiatrist this week because obviously we, we had a bad psychiatrist. So <laughs> very we bad. We need to
1: show them some love. Sure. They're not all bad.
0: No, definitely not. And so this one is out of Honolulu, Hawaii. Dr. Chad Koyanagi has, according to this article from the Hawaii News Now, he's been helping people who live on the streets. We were just talking about that. People who've been on the streets for decades and he actually knows them by name and he's been helping them all this time. He says it's, re- it's really important to build relationships in order to be able to treat them, which I, I just, I love that. And it's so true, especially with someone. It's true of, I think it's true of a lot of people, but it's especially someone that's dealing with mental health issues because there are a lot of trust issues. Yes. He said the ones... I kind of focus on the most, since there's only one of me, and I'm a psychiatrist, are the ones that are most mentally ill, psychotic, people lacking insight, people who've been failed by the mental health system. I mean, that is dangerous, really. I'm not saying, I don't mean to say that mental people with mental health issues are always violent. I definitely don't want to buy into that stereotype at all. It's not true but it's still a pr- going out into the community where they are you don't know how they've been managing their symptoms a lot of these people will cope use alcohol and other drugs as a coping mechanism as you know to self medicate and it just leads to more problems and so you don't know what you're dealing with to just go out into the community and be approaching these people where they are and it's amazing right. you know isn't it i feel like it's so brave of
1: him. Yeah. It's very, very brave. You know, and I think that, you know, he said that he described himself as an oddball because he does go out into the community because most psychiatrists, they have a clinic, they have an office, people come to them, Mm -hmm. but he goes to the people because let's be honest, the people that need that help, that they don't have a way to get to the office or the clinic. Um, you know, they don't always have, especially if they're in the streets, they don't have transportation there. It's not like they have a phone to remind them the date and the time, and the appointment. They might not even be oriented enough to remember where the office is or who the doctor is or why they're going there. You know, if, and especially if they're self-medicating with drugs or alcohol, that's going to alter their memory and their conscience level. So I'm just blown away that he goes out and sees these people where they are and I think that he probably gets a lot of a lot of trust, you know. I mean oh sure. He gets street cred with these people because they're gonna open up more to him because they're in their environment. So they're comfortable. You know, they're not in an office chair in some place they've never been. You know, they're in their natural habitat. And that's where we're all the most comfortable Mm -hmm. is is where we feel safe and secure and for some people, that is on the street.
0: Yeah. He said his very first job was at a place called Safe Haven in Chinatown. And that facility provided medical, psychiatric, and rehabilitation for people who were homeless with severe mental health issues. So he kind of knew really early on in his career that he wanted to help people who were living in the, on the streets. Um, and he says, like you said, he says, as far as he knows, he was the he's really the only one in his area. I, I'm not saying he's the only one anywhere, but I have never heard of anyone doing this, a psychiatrist.
1: I don't either. I've never heard of it either.
0: I mean, you have to go to medical school for four years after you've already you know, completed your bachelor degree and then your residency. And you go, you're going through, you have to go through a lot to become a medical doctor. And that's what a psychiatrist yeah. is. And to then put yourself out there like this and go into the streets in the situation when you really could be in a more cushy office setting. It, it's just, it really speaks volumes to his character and the kind of person he is. And we, we need more people like him, honestly.
1: Yeah, he's definitely a servant, servant leader because I, I, I don't know if he gets paid. I doubt these people pay him. So how he affords his life I don't know, but that doesn't seem to be a priority for him. Yeah. And, and I think that yeah. more of us need to kind of be that way.
0: I don't know if he has his own practice and does this in addition to that, or... I, I, it, it, right on the side. It didn't really say. Mm-mm. It just talked about the how for decades he's actually been doing this, and that through the work that he's been doing, he has. Uh, there have been people who've actually found homes after being on the street for so long because he's been able to help them. Mm -hmm. Because if you are struggling with mental health issues, it's very difficult to get a home. Well, for one thing, just to go and apply for like an apartment or anything like that, you have to have references. You clearly have to have a job, even if it's government assisted type um, housing, it, there are so many things that go along with that. It make it very that make it very difficult for homeless people to get mm-hmm. their you know feet on the ground. And so right. having mental health issues is just one more huge stumbling block to that because they're probably not going to be able to hold down a job. They're probably going to be struggling to maybe in and out of jail because a lot of, unfortunately a lot of these people get arrested mm-hmm. at different times for different things. It's just horrible. And so he was named hometown hero which I thought was really nice and definitely fitting for sure. He said he didn't think he deserved that kind of recognition. And he, he feels like there's a lot of amazing people around him, a lot of people wanting to change the world and make Hawaii a better place. And he kind of attributed, you know, he wanted to give credit to everyone and not just himself, but obviously he, he deserves this.
1: Yeah, very much so. I wish there was more like him in the world. Oh
0: man, me too, me too. There's a really nice picture of him there kind of bent down, you know, talking to some people and just, it's heartwarming to think about, you know, a, a doctor going out and, you know, into the community like that and helping people. We mm-hmm. have some doctors that are, um, where, where we work that I'll see them you know, I'll kinda either walking by the room or, or I'll walk in, And, you know, they don't know I'm there, whatever. I just happen to walk in and see them there. And they'll there's certain ones that will like kind of squat down beside the patient's bed so they can make Mm -hmm. they can talk to them eye to eye and they will just stay in there as long as the patient has questions or the family has questions. It absolutely make it warms my heart so much to see that, to see how much they care because doctors do not have an easy job. Okay, I mean I I don't I didn't know that before I became a nurse. I had no I didn't know nurses had uh, that hard of a job either. Uh but when I see these doctors and how hard they really work going all over the hospital, seeing all these patients, having to do all this silly documentation in the yeah. computer and they they have to sit there at that computer doing all this documenting and you would hope that they that they would have, you know, more time to be able to spend with the patient, actually looking the patient in the eye. They gotta spend so much time sitting there at that computer. So it's a it's not an easy job. And I just appreciate them for what they do. And I appreciate
1: this guy. Yep. Me too.
0: Well, thank you, Allison, for coming on again and hosting another episode with us.
1: You're welcome. I will come back anytime.
0: Well, I want to remind you guys to go to com and see it, come and see us on Instagram and Facebook, Good Nurse Bad Nurse um, on Instagram and GMBN Podcast on Facebook. Send me messages. I love it when you guys send me messages and just... All kind, tell me all kinds of things going on in your life, especially the nursing students. Nursing students are awesome. They're just so excited. So excited. It's wonderful. I love it. Um, you guys have a wonderful week. And do not forget that even if you're a bad girl or a bad boy, be a good nurse.